Can sound inspire us to think differently? We'll take you to places you'd probably never go. Remote, unfamiliar, not very appealing places, yet ones that are exciting and reveal much about the future challenges posed to our society. Ones that are rich in sound. Management of a Gift, Episode 2, Hellishathi Geothermal Power Plant and CO2 Storage, Iceland. After visiting a coal power plant in the Czech Republic in the first episode, we're now headed to Iceland, a country with a very different approach to energy production. For this part of the journey, philosopher of technology Lukáš Likavčan and musicians Václav Havelka and Pan Torárensen are joined by local pioneer of field recordings Magnus Bergson, who since the 1970s has been tirelessly capturing sounds of both the natural environment and city life. Future Landscapes, a podcast on the challenges of humankind as heard in sound. Helles Heithi is the eighth largest geothermal power station in the world and the largest one in Iceland. Geothermal energy is a major source of power for the island. To reach the heat coming from the Earth's core, wells are drilled thousands of meters into the ground piercing through various geological layers and penetrating reservoirs of pressurized water. Steam separated from the underground water, which can be up to 300 degrees Celsius, is used to power some of the plant's seven turbines. The process is accompanied by a hissing sound. We heard only pink noise, brown noise, white noise. If you just consider the sound, there's so much energy. It's like you can really feel the power and also a lot of vibration is going on. When you like walk through the building yes. and through the rooms, like each has different yeah. kind of vibration. Yeah. It's like many layers. The dissonance between what we see and what we hear is encoded in the media we use to capture a given phenomenon. In the words of sound ecologist Murray Schaefer, it is less easy to formulate an exact impression of a soundscape than of a landscape. 
there is nothing in sonography corresponding to the instantaneous impression which photography can create. With a camera, it is possible to catch the salient features of a visual panorama to create an impression that is immediately evident. The microphone does not operate this way. It samples details. It gives the close-up, but nothing corresponding to aerial photography. The scenery that emerges on arrival to Helishathi is stunning. The view is dominated by the geothermal power plant sitting in a shallow valley in between the hills formed by a nearby volcano and covered by stretches of dark green moss. It is surrounded by entanglements of pipes that expand over vast areas and release clouds of dense white steam. As a whole, the picture is very aesthetically pleasing and peaceful. It might even give the impression that geothermal energy production is clean and effective and one is inclined to forgive this heavy infrastructure that binds the ancient and eerie-looking landscape. However, once we go down the hill and enter the facility, the sound tells us a different story. We can think about the power plant here as something like a small volcano. And what the volcano teaches us is that energy is not a resource. Energy is a gift of sorts. And that also means that this kind of framing of the energy brings more poetic understanding of what it uh, contains, how it can be utilized for human and non-human flourishing in under this banner of habitability of our planet. So instead of resource to be extracted, we are confronted with a free gift. Or maybe not always a free gift. Sometimes it's a gift that actually seeks to be repaid in some kind of ritual exchange. In a sort of like, for example, working with the waste that comes from the uh, excessive use of energy. geothermal energy production evokes something harmonic, perhaps because the word thermal is also used to refer to spas. However, this process is not as harmonic as Iceland's green marketing makes it out to be. In fact, it was the ambivalence of this site that led us to select it for the sonic expedition. Geothermal drilling carries a number of negative impacts, such as the release of toxic gases, destabilization of the tectonic bedrock, or the poisoning of waters. And the overwhelming noise emitted from the machines we hear when we get to the heart of the facility speaks much about the robust flow of materials and massive technological intervention taking place here. The sound in the power plant is reminiscent of uh, the steam engine, like a very ancient device actually, like uh -huh. 200 years old or more. I wonder to what extent or where's the limit of uh, the information sound can give us about the nature of the place and the process happening there. Because steam engine, coal power plant, hydropower plant, geothermal power plant, they have quite similar spectrum of, of sound they offer. And yet there's a difference to each of these processes. And so I just wonder like, to what extent can be sound deceptive rather than informing us about the nature of the place. 
I still hope there's more in the sound than just the similarity mm. because uh, focusing on the similarity actually negates the critical and subversive edge of the sonic experience. In every power plant we visit, regardless of what original resources used to power it, we always hear the engines and turbines that convert the raw material into energy. Here in Hellas Haithi, the substance comes in the form of hot fluid extracted by the drills from a depth of two to three kilometers. The monumentality of the sound tells of the violent essence of extraction. But I'm also looking forward to how our perspective will change after seeing the carbon capture facility, because I think there is an additional step that is not present, for example, at coal power plant, and that's the closing of the cycle by actually putting the waste back to the earth. When we leave the plant itself, a home to heavy machinery, we arrive at an area dotted with small silver metal hemispheres interconnected by a system of pipes. In the sunshine, they resemble cosmic objects that seem to fit very well into the surrounding landscape, which looks like something out of a sci-fi film set. One of them houses a re-injection site, which is part of a pilot project testing the technology for storing CO2 underground. It is liquefied and pressured into the geological bedrock, where it slowly turns into stone. This procedure, which takes several centuries to run its natural course, happens here in the span of only a few years. It's an acceleration of the process known in nature. The daily amount of CO2 injected into the rock is rather tiny compared to the daily CO2 production of an average coal power plant. But the technology is still only in the pioneering phase of the search for climate solutions. This kind of energetic project can bring to the ethos of the infrastructure, to the ethos of the engineering. And I think in the end that is very important because we can uh, think about the whole uh, series of rituals of actually how to, in the economic terms, but also in terms of, for example, the artistic and public engagement, how to actually, in a way, engage in an exchange between the planet that gives us these gifts of uh, energetic resources and our need for these resources. So to keep the balance sheet somehow more in harmony by thinking about the other side of the equation of how we should repay the debt that we create by using the gifts of the planet. It is always a sort of trade-off we face when we deploy these large-scale infrastructures because uh, it is very possible that uh, we will actually not get rid of a certain extractive enterprises also in the kind of ecological future that we want to imagine and the landscapes that they should be like the cornerstones of, uh, of the kind of ecological future.
the microphones are now aimed at the pipes that flow into the small, futuristic station and through it under the ground. And this constant noise. I think the same everywhere. It does not matter if we are pumping down or up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's quite deep again, quite warm it sounded to me. There's yeah. like no hard, hard noise connected to it. In both ways it creates an interface between the air and the ground, between the atmosphere and the geology. There is some element of reckoning in that, of like uh, atonement that such a sound associates. One more idea that uh, comes to my mind in relation to the peacefulness of the sound is uh, to what extent we can interpret the process happening here as a kind of economic hygiene in the way that CO2 is a waste product. The moment we think about that, about waste, we need to think about how to remove it. The moment we think about removal, then uh, means that we are actually playing and uh, drafting a new categories of what is pure and impure, what is dangerous and what is not dangerous. There's a very classical anthropological study by Mary Douglas called Purity and Danger, which is about how every society, every culture, works with this distinction between the pure and the impure, between what is allowed and what is taboo. And so one of the main problems with uh, greenhouse gases is that they are mostly invisible and we are not used to immediately identify them as waste. For that reason, the sound here can play that additional role of actually bringing this uh, understanding into a collective sort of mentality. Murray Schaefer formulates this in his book, The Soundscape. The general acoustic environment of a society can be read as an indicator of social conditions which produce it and may tell us much about the trending and evolution of that society. One can't help but wonder what closely listening to the sounds of this technological network might reveal about the evolution of our society. The moment that you think about paying people for sequestering carbon, you are actually paying them for removing something, not for producing something. You are not producing a new wealth out of that per se. The role of state can be more and more regulative in that sense that it will be not just about uh, making some large framework for uh, markets, competition, business, but state can also be a regulatory mechanism in that way that it actually is an instrument of redistribution of wealth, of risk, and also it can be an instrument that uh, can actually back and secure universal provision of basic services. The procedure of pumping CO2 underground sounds constant and regular, like something being under control. It's very different from the noise of extractive activity we might perhaps be hearing the beginnings of a future shift of the economic system towards activities that don't cause the irregularities we're facing now. The symbolic quality of sound should not be overlooked. In the words of Luigi Rosolo, an electronic music pioneer born in 1885, sound is defined as the result of a succession of regular and periodic vibrations. Noise is instead caused by motions that are irregular, as much in time as in intensity. There is this shift happening from the politics of citizenship to the politics of usership, and it brings this aspect of the universal provision of services with it. Usership doesn't mean to consume, 
Usership doesn't mean to be just like a node in some giant anonymous inhuman network. It means that you are actually cared for in some basic sense and you can build on top of that platform the kind of individual lifestyle. It is end of capitalism as we know it. It is not end of capitalism per se. I can't imagine a transformation of society around these infrastructures which wouldn't disrupt some basic assumption of the economic logic of capitalism, mainly the surplus extraction. Because uh, as far as uh, you base economy on around removing waste rather than producing excessive amounts of energy, commodities, and also producing excessive capacities of labor, that's the moment when uh, you actually remove the bedrock on which the economic logic of capitalism sits. But uh, the open question is whether it's going to be replaced by something worse or something better. You've just heard the second episode of Future Landscapes, a podcast on the challenges of humankind based on a sonic expedition into the ambivalent technologies and ecosystems of the Czech Republic and Iceland. You can find much more at futurelandscapes.cz. Stay tuned to this podcast for more sonic journeys.